0: Derech Hashem is written by the Ramchal. The Ramchal wrote M'sul Sharm. The Ramchal was an extraordinary human being. It's hard to even imagine what he accomplished. Um, if you've learned M'sul Sharm, you know that his grip on, on life, his grip on, on understanding, he was not just a, you know, one of the most humbling books I've ever read. The, the, the Ramchal wrote what he calls Derech Chachma. Derech explains how you should learn. He says, and when you're younger, go through all the Bavli go through Yer Shalmi, then go through Shulchan Aruch. And then, you know, of course you have to keep reviewing it, but then most of the time should be spent in Kabbalah. Now, I, I just want you to appreciate that no... I don't know people who finish Bavli, Yer Shalmi, Fishonat and, and Shulchan Aruch, but this was his advice to a regular person. He, um, he passed away at 39 years of age, and he literally was one of the... Um, there are many, many stories written about him, in fact the uh, least of which uh, at 20 years of age he learned well the Malach would come to him. It, it was definitely a very unique and, and, and exceptional human being. This work, the Derech Hashem, is far more expansive than Isma Sharm. It really deals with a lot of the background, a lot of the, um, a lot of the questions and issues that we're supposed to know, but we, we never somehow got a chance to to learn for some reason. And as we go through this, I, I believe you're going to say, oh my goodness, how is it possible? I went to yeshiva, I learned, how do we not discuss this? How do we not... So you'll see as we get into it, it's a very, very critical, very important work. Okay, so let's start. Mitziyah Hashem. And so this is the first point that he starts with, Kol Every person in the Kalei has to believe and know sheisham motzi Rishon Kadmon that there is an entity who is Rishon, who is first, Kadmon, previous to everything else, in and eternal. Um, and now we'll we'll stop in a moment what Yamin V'yeda means, but this motzi who Himtsi Umamsi he brought forth and continues to bring forth everything that is in existence, Hu, and this is Hashem. Okay. So every person in your soul has to believe and know. Now, believe and know are two different expressions, and they're very, very distinct. Belief is, I believe. You know, you write me a check, I believe it's good. Depending on how large the check, and depending on how well I know you, uh, you know, I, I believe. You write me a 90 dollars check, I'm good. You write me a $90,000 check, I'm not sure. And if you buy a house, and you want to write me a check for $900,000, oh, I don't know how much faith, I have in that check, so emuna is, is is an expression that we use to refer to um, things that we have faith in that we sort of we, we know but we don't quite yeda we don't quite know that's your seat right there this he's covered um, is actual knowledge um, and we're going to discuss pretty shortly what what these two concepts are but in any case every person has to believe and know that Hashem is the Kadmum of Nitzhi, was previous to creation, and Nitzri and is eternal, meaning not dependent on creation before anything existed, and He alone brought forth, continues to bring forth everything in the mitzvahs, in reality, and that's Hashem. Okay, and this is the mitzvah of Emunah. Now, and the first mistake that we make in the mitzvah of Amuna and I think it's a very common mistake, is either you believe or you don't believe. I believe. Listen, I'm a firm Jew, I believe. I'm, I'm in. I'm in the. You know. I'm in the camp. I believe. We're good, and I think that's a critical error, because belief is not an on and an off switch. Belief has many, 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 many levels to it. There is um, there is belief, and there's greater levels of belief, and greater levels and greater. Um, ladies, everyone here is, believes in Hashem, right? All maminim, right? So, one of my famous questions for ladies who were here with us before the class stopped. Um, Anyone daven recently? Yes. Good. Anyone faint recently during davening? Why not? Spoke to God, the creator of the heavens, Hashem himself. I, literally, spoke to Hashem, the creator of the heavens and the earth. How do you possibly not faint? How do you you not pass out? And to be honest with you, how do you um, space out during davening? And now listen, folks, this is... Um, this is a daily uh, thing With I, I, I work on davening and I work very hard but I have to <laughs> tell you that it is a major major labor to keep my brain where it's supposed to be now I don't get it I, I, I'm, if I'm a mammin if I know that Hashem is there and I'm speaking to Hashem and I know Hashem controls everything how is it possible that I space out so this is the question we're going to deal with this evening and that's um, <clears throat> what emuna really means and, and in fact what what, uh, what the work is, what the difference between Amunah and Yedia is. So let's begin with one important observation. Um, in last week's parsha, now ancient history, so Hashem says to Noah, I'm going to destroy the entire earth, the entire earth is wicked, I'm going to destroy the whole world. And Noah starts building the Teva, and he spends quite a while building it. The Torah tells us the exact dimensions, he gathers the animals, gathers the food, he spends a tremendous amount of time and effort and finally, the day comes, it starts raining, and the Passock says very clearly Noach and his family went into the Teva because of the rain. And Rashi quotes the Medrash that Noach did not go into the Teva until the rain had gathered, until it was literally up to his thighs. And Rashi notes why is it that Noach waited until the, the water was rising? Says Rashi, Noah was from the small of Amunah, people of the small Amunah. He believed and he didn't believe that the Mabul would come. He didn't go into the Teva until the water forced him in. Okay. So what Rashi is telling us is a very profound concept. Noah believed and he didn't believe. He believed there would be a Mabul and he didn't believe. Now, if you think about this, that should be a little bit curious. Why? Because Noah was a tzaddik. Now, I know, you know, the others don't get anywhere near the credit they do, but for sure, Adam and Noah do not get anywhere near the credit of who they were. Just perspective-wise, Adam Harishon opened his eyes, what I call a fully loaded Wikipedia. He knew almost everything that... You and I could not even begin understanding. Hashem said to the malachim, "I'm going to show you His wisdom." And to prove the wisdom of Adam Rishon, Hashem brought forth each animal and asked the malachim to name them. I don't know. Then He brought forth each animal to Adam and said, "Name them." Adam said, "Zu chamor zu gamal, zu sus. There's a horse. There's a donkey." But the mafreshim explained, when He gave the names to the animal. He defined the essence, the nature, the inner being of the animal. This is a sus. Its nature is to be docile. Its nature is to become domesticated. This is a tiger. It is not a domestic. Meaning, the very essence of what it ate, what its proclivities were, its inclinations. He defined the in one meaning. When I say the word table, that's that's a label. It has no real meaning, it's not a, def- a definition of this object, it's a it's a term we use conveniently. <clears throat> the words that he d- used define the essence of the animal. The malachim were astonished by the great wisdom. Now, <clears throat> Hashem's plan was to create the world, and Adam Risham was to be the progenitor, and from him was to come all of creation. It didn't proceed that way at all. Ten generations turned badly, and basically Hashem was again prepared to destroy the world and as Aderech Hashem later on explains to us Hashem's plan was to rebuild the world from Noach but you have to appreciate who Noach was Noach was an Ish tzaddik, Tomim Bid now the reason why Noach gets bad publicity is because that Rashi explains that had he been it's a he would he have been a tzaddik in Avram's generation but I want you to appreciate who Noach was and Noah Noach was, at, when he built the Teva, was 500 years old. He had mastered everything in creation to the extent that he brought forth the animals that were Tahor and Tamea, right? The animal, Torah says, bring the Tamea and Tamea. How do you know the difference between a Tahor animal and a tome? Anyone here know a animal? Could you tell me a, whether a donkey is Tamea or Tahor? Can you tell me a cow is Tahor or Tamea? Now, if you learned Kodshim, you could tell me. But how do you know that if you didn't? So, the the explains that the, the, these people were able to, how do I say this, intuit Torah, meaning their neshama was so pure, Adam Reshem was created as the handcraft of Hashem. Noach was not that far off from what Adam was, and he intuitively understood the level of Kedusha of something. I'll give you an example of what I mean they discuss in the Times of A nuvi could tell you whether a piece of meat was kosher or treif. Why? Because a treifer, if you shuck the animal improperly, it's tummy. Now, you and I won't know the difference. If it says, oh, you it, it's kosher. If it doesn't say, oh, you, it's treif. But a you could say, it's tummy. Look at that, come on, look at that. Can't you see that's tummy? You could, you could feel the, the, the tummy, can't you? So <laughs> we're not attuned to that, but these people were... And Noah was a tzaddik of unimaginable proportions. He was the man that Hashem was going to rebuild, start the world from. And Hashem gave him a mission. But here's really the punchline. Noah spent a little while building this teva. Hashem told him at the age of 500 that he's going to destroy the world. And he spent, it was actually, I'm sorry, at the age of 480. He spent 120 years building this teva. First he planted the cedar trees. And then as they were growing, he began (laughs) grooming them. And the reason why was because his job was to be mochiach, was to teach the generation. People were going to say, what are you doing? And he was going to say, Hashem is going to destroy the world. For 120 years, he built this table. Now, it was quite a large vessel. We're talking 600 feet long, 100 feet wide, 60 feet. It 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 was quite a significant vessel. And he spends 120 years building it. And the whole reason why he builds it is for one reason, to teach a generation, if you don't do tshuva Hashem, is going to destroy the world. Finally, Hashem says, seven days from now the marble is going to come, and the rain starts, Noah doesn't go in until the water is up until his knees. The question is, how, how could that be? What do you mean and enomamin? Number one, Hashem spoke to him. He's a tzaddik who gets nevuah. Hashem tells him, "I'm going to bring a Marble. He spends 120 years building this teva, and not just that. The animals come in, but the twos and the sevens and the each animal comes. You know, he couldn't try to catch a giraffe, try to catch a, an orangutan. They didn't. They just came. They all came. The, the nisim were hard to imagine, and yet he didn't believe that there was going to be a marvel. And, and the question is, how could that be? Right? We had a question. Okay. So let's see if we could understand the answer to this question, because I think this is really the key that I'd like to focus on. So here is the problem that if it could be Hashem had. How do you take an neshama and give it free will? How do you give it b'chira? Meaning, there is a part of me, the neshama, that was under Hashem's throne of glory, and I was put into this world for one purpose, to grow, to accomplish, to be challenged, to become who I could be. But here's the problem. Every single mitzvah that Hashem gave me is for my benefit. Every single avera damages me. How do you give a brilliant neshama free will? Free will means I could do this, I could do that. But a neshama is way too smart. For instance, um, I was a high school rebbe for quite a while. I used to ask the guys the following. Imagine I pulled out a $100 bill, and I asked you guys the following. Uh, imagine I say to you, um, do you have free will to put your hand in a fire? I imagine I say to you, if you put your hand in a fire for one minute, I give you this $100 bill. Do you have free will to put your hand in a fire? Now, the answer is you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't do it for $100, not for $1,000, not for $10,000. Why? Because it's absurd. It's self inflicted damage. You're not going to do it. It's stupid. It's, just, it's, it's beyond foolish. So, do you have free will? I guess in theory, you have free will to put your hand in a fire, but you never would do it. I don't drink bleach. I don't do things that damage me. So how is it possible to take a brilliant neshama, put it into this world and say, you have free will? Every mitzvah helps me grow. Every vera damages the essence of me. How do you have free will? So to allow for free will, Hashem put us into a body that's not just a body. You know, it's meaning when Hashem took a neshama, it didn't just put it into a robot body. This body has its own nefesh. <clears throat> nefesh Bahami has all of the instincts of any animal in the animal kingdom. The need to eat, the need to rest, the need to procreate, within any animal in the animal kingdom, you'll find a nefesh. Yoel's rat just died, so um, he buried it. The nefesh of the rat, um, this is not a joke, ladies. I I wrote a book a while back called the, the Torah Lifestyle, and in it I discussed the nefesh of Bahami, and I discussed the fact that every animal has a nefesh, and you know, you can see it, like a dog almost has a personality. If you own the dog, you know, it, there's a... There's a live, vibrant part. When it goes to sleep, it's asleep. When it wakes up, it's awake, and it's attached to its master. You can see that there's a nature, and there's, there's a, you wouldn't call it a personality, but there's a nefesh, a vibrant, live nefesh. So in any case, I spent a lot of time in the total lifestyle writing about this, and I was speaking somewhere, and a woman comes over to me, Rabbi Schaefer, thank you so much. Uh, thank you, your book has helped me. Your book helped me so much. I, uh, what do you mean? Well, <laughs> she explained to me that her dog had died, and now she knows that she's going to rejoin her dog in the world to come, because it has a nefesh, and so she found great consolation from the book. So, um, it wasn't my point to tell her that she missed the point. See, when, when Elsie the cow dies, Elsie the cow's nefesh just evaporates, it's, it's gone. But Elsie the cow has a nefesh of Within the nefesh of Hashem implanted all of the instincts, drives Needed for that animal to keep itself alive and bring forth the next generation, within the I whom speaking to you there is a nefesh bahami. The nefesh bahami has all the instincts needed to keep me alive, everything needed to be a human being, and the I whom speaking to you are made up of two very different components. There's a part brilliant, intelligent neshama, and there's a different part called the nefesh bahami with all the drives and instincts. And if you're not sure that I'm right, just watch the fact that sometimes you're in a good mood and sometimes you're not. Sometimes, ever, anyone here, I don't know, people here probably don't get angry, but um, if you've ever gotten, if you ever notice anybody who gets angry, you'll find a very interesting thing. They, they change. They become like a different person. They view things differently. They think differently. They'll say things that they would never say when they're not angry. In fact, um, I've been there myself, um, and woken up the day after and said to myself, What was I thinking how why'd I say that? I would never say that why'd I speak that way why'd I do that what, what was i what, what was my problem? So the answer is, I have a nevisha Bahami, and the, at that point, the nevisha Bahami took over and the anger flared up, and at that moment, I was hijacked the I whom 'm speaking to is hijacked by anger, and at that moment, I think differently, I feel differently, I view things differently um there's an important muscle that we used last, last time we had this class. If you'd like to fundamentally understand yourself, all you have to do is imagine that there's a, um, a family with five kids eating dinner, and as soon as dinner is over, all five kids vie for the one family computer. Now, <clears throat> five kids, one computer means only one child has control of the keyboard. Now if one child wants to do his math homework, you're going to see the Excel spreadsheet. If one child wants to play a game, you're going to see a game. All five children have to watch the screen, but one child at a time controls the keyboard and all five see what he's showing. Within me there's anger, there's jealousy, there's generosity, there's laziness, there's alacrity. There are many different traits within the nefesh habahami, within the animal soul. And if you'd like to fundamentally understand yourself, what happens is, it's almost like it depends on who gets control of the keyboard. Sometimes I'm in control, and my thought process is clear, and I get it, and I'm really, really on target. But sometimes I get jealous, and suddenly thoughts begin flashing across my conscious mind that I normally wouldn't think. Or I get angry, and I think things that I normally wouldn't think. My values change, and my judgment changes, or I get lazy, and suddenly I have 75,000 excuses and rationales and reasons why I shouldn't do this. But here's the difficult part. The difficult part is it speaks in my voice. You see the five kids on the keyboard, and each they're all watching the screen, which everyone gets control of my brain is speaking in my brain. So if it's anger, anger now has control of the keyboard. Across my conscious mind comes the thoughts generated by anger, if it's laziness, it's laziness. If it's a desire, it's a desire. And one of the most important things you have to learn if you really want to grow is don't trust every thought that comes across your mind. Not every thought you think is accurate. Not every thought you think is you. And not every thought is your neshama, more than that. Probably most thoughts are not your neshama. And again, if you pay attention to to the the to the... To the to the chatter, if you pay attention to the stuff that comes across our conscious brain, you'll see that there are vast differences depending on who's got control of the keyboard. Now, <laughs> here's what happens. What happens is, the goal in life is to grow. The Nevisha bahami and Nevisha sikhli are, are in constant competition, in constant uh, battle. Whichever one you exercise more becomes more dominant, becomes stronger, and whichever one you don't use becomes weaker. It's sort of like a muscle with use it becomes stronger with disuse and atrophies. So if a person uses his neshama on a constant basis, it becomes stronger, it becomes more dominant, the Nevesh gets less control. If a person gives into his Nevesh bahami on a regular basis, it becomes stronger, it gets more control. But the human being is ever in flux. So here is the reality of what life is about. We are, I don't want to say, I want to be polite, but we're at best, we'll, I'll be polite, we're a little bit confused. And let me explain what I mean. I mean, we're not confused. I'm, I'm rational. I'm, I'm, I'm an intelligent person. But yet I do things that are very, very not intelligent. And I do things that are very, very um, foolish. And I do things that make no sense. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll use words after to explain my behavior. But if I were really, really honest with myself, I would say, gee golly, what was, my, what was I doing? What was I thinking? So... Um, I have one more muscle that I think is very important to just sort of like put this whole package together. Um, so it's Moishi, the Yeshiva Bochar, first year base So I don't know, in the old days, they would not let the guys in high school get drunk, but the time a guy hit base Medrash, he could get drunk on Purim. Okay, so here you got Moishi. He's first year base and he's uh, he's plastered. He's out there in the street, and there you see him. He's an 18-year-old guy, and he's in the street, and he's playing with cars. He's playing in traffic. Moishe, what are you doing? I'm playing with the car. Moishe, you're going to get hit by a car. I know. Crack, smack my back. Moshe, you're going to get hit by a car. You're going to send me down. I know. Crack, smack my back. They'll send me down. They'll put pins in my back. I'll go to the metal detector. Ding, ding, ding. All right, now stop. You're having a conversation with someone. And he's, he's answering. He's responding. And he recognizes the idea of getting hit by a car. He even recognizes the fact that he may have the surgery. Pins in his back. Go through the metal detector, et cetera, et cetera. So, wh- what's going on? What's going on is that Mushi is drunk, meaning his rational, sane mind is clouded, is obscured, it, he's, he's drunk. The proof in the pudding is, if you videotape Maishi, and the next day when he's sober, you show him the video, oh my God, what was I doing? Was I, was I crazy? I get him back. What, what was my problem? Ladies, that is us. Hashem knows very well what He's doing. When Hashem (coughs) decided to give this thing called Bechira, Hashem put us into this body, but again, this body is not just a robot. It's not that I'm this brilliant Neshama put into a machine, and I just tell the arms and legs what to do. The body has its desires, its appetites, its needs. I have a full Nefesh bahami, and I spend my life drunk. And drunk means, I'm not drunk, but sometimes I get it, and sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'm talking to Hashem, and Hashem is right there. And sometimes I'm spaced out. Sometimes I get angry, sometimes I get jealous, and sometimes I get filled with desire, and I become a different person. If you'd like to understand Noah, I think that's exactly Pshad. As great as a tzaddik as he was, he was mamin ve'enu mamin, meaning to say, he knew it. Hashem said, I'm going to bring a mabul." And Noah spent 120 years building that Teva. And he knew it 80%. But 80%. It wasn't really 100% because, come on, you know, it's, it's. Meaning, if we see Hashem 20%, that's tremendous. Um, To be honest with you, you know, if we saw Hashem 20% when we domined during Shabbos, it'd be, it'd be remarkable. Um, Because we are clouded. This body is a heavy cloak of physicality, the way M'sul Sharm describes it, it's like a heavy, heavy cloak of physicality, and I can't experience Hashem, I can't feel Hashem, I'm in the state of confusion, and the job in life is to grow, to change, and you get from 20% to 21% to 22%, but no matter what happens, and no matter who you are, there's always that Nevisha Bahami, there's always that blockage, and even Noach, as great as he was, and even Noach, given a nevuah by Hashem, that I'm going to bring the marble and it all spends 120 years, it wasn't 100% clear. It was largely clear, pretty clear, but not 100%. And I believe that this concept is fundamental to everything that we do, because you see, when we talk about Amuna, Amuna is not an on and off switch. It's not like, I got it, Hashem created the world, runs the world. It's something you constantly have to focus on, constantly have to work on, constantly have to revisit, and constantly try to feel it to a much greater extent. Um, One more step. There are three um, pillars to growing in Amuna. The first pillar is the Mesorah. Moshe Beno sold the Jewish people on Arsena. Every Jew there reached Nevuah. And three million people told their children, told their children, told their children, that's the Kabbalah that we have, that's the mesorah The second um, leg of Amuna is the brain, what we, what we intuitively are able to understand. You look at a world that's so complex, it's so vast, so sophisticated, you see Hashem. But probably the biggest part of Amuna and growing in Amuna is something that we all instinctively know. You see, I originally was under Hashem's throne of glory. I am right now in this body, and I'm occluded, and I'm blocked, and I'm wearing these heavy, heavy cloaks of physicality, but they're ideas, they're things that I know. And if you're able to cut through the layers, and if you're able to cut through the the smoke and the and the mirrors, you're able to eventually get to understandings that intuitively and instinctively you know. But again, you really have to use all three. Now the Deir HaShem, as we learn it, he's much more based on Kabbalah, on the Masorah, and he doesn't spend anywhere near as much time using the the seichel part, um, but there is a lot of it in it as well. But again, the third part being the intuitive sense that I know and instinctively understand um, is a key. Now, I want to close this session, before we open for questions, with, with a story that I think is just one of the most powerful examples of this concept that I know. Yafa Eliach wrote a book called The Hasidic Tales of the Holocaust. She was a historian. She was also um, a Holocaust survivor. <coughs> um, and many of the stories are, are, are fantastic. In any case, she writes one story about the Blu of a rabbit. of a was in work camps and uh, a number of labor camps, and he was in a number of concentration, concentration camps as well. In any case, he describes that in one labor camp, there was a Kapo who was the biggest anti-Semite you could ever imagine. His name was Schneweis, and Schneerweiss before the war was not religious. He came from Warsaw, and he was a Kofir, And in the camps, he was the worst heinous individual you could ever met. Whatever he could do to make the life of the Jews difficult, he did. Now, he obviously he was Jewish, but as a kappa, he was given certain rights, and he was given privileges if he became the, sort of the, the, the police of the, of the barracks, etc. And he was a notorious evil individual. In any case, everyone knew Avoy schnauzers, avoid schnauzers, avoid schnauzers. The Bilger Rebbe describes that on Yom Kippur, he was assigned to clean the barracks of one of the uh, one of the colonels. Um, he was assigned to clean the barracks, and he explained that he did whatever he could not to be machaluyontev, meaning he was Yom Kippur. So, he, whatever he could do to clean in a manner that wouldn't be machaluyontev, he did, um, and he tried his best. And at a certain point, he's there, and is walks in. And right behind Schneerweiss walks in a Gestapo officer with a cart laden with food. The Gestapo loved to torture the Jews, and the Gestapo knew that many Jews would be fasting on Yom Kippur. I mean, keep in mind, that the fasting was probably the, the, every day's fare, but and certainly on Yom Kippur, the Jews would be very hungry. He walks in with a, a cart laden with food, and he says to the Rebbe, Rabbi, time to feast. Time to eat. <clears throat> and the Blisha Rebbe didn't know what to do because y- y- you don't disobey dis- 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 a direct order from a Gestapo agent. In any case, <laughs> Schneerweiss, who's there, looks up to the Gestapo agent and says, uh, no, 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 today's Yom Kippur. We Jews don't eat on Yom Kippur. And the blue Rebbe said, he didn't know what to, what to say. The Gestapo agent turned red. What did you say? Weiss said, this is Yom Kippur. We Jews don't eat on Yom Kippur the Gestapo agent pulled out a gun, he said, if you don't eat now, I'm going to shoot you. Shneiwai says, we Jews do not eat on your kipper. He shot him dead, fell on the floor. The Buzhi Rebbe said, you see that a Jew, no matter where he's at, on this, there's a deep, deep understanding, and a deep recognition of truth, and it came out, despite how far removed he was. And again, I think that's one of the big legs of Amuna growing in it, and, um, and it's something we need to focus on. Now, Floor is open to questions, thoughts, observations. Cameras off. This is the. Actually, actually, for the fun of it, people. On, oh, let's see if anyone wants to. Yeah, let's see if anybody here has a. Any Zoom people have questions. But go ahead, yes, please. Questions, thoughts. Everybody, all at once. One second. I'm going to see if anybody. Okay, has. I'll yes, ask a question. Please. So we talked about how the mind is so divided. Yes. Um, a person with schizophrenia or split personality disorder. Mm-hmm. I mean, that also came from Hashem, but so <laughs> Right. I mean, to be honest with you, there there are times. You know, there there are often times. I speak to a lot of people. And I can't tell you how many times I say to myself, gee, I got that same problem. A little bit less extreme, but I... You know, it's meaning the difference between a debilitating disease and a and a personality, just a part of being a, a human being, is often a thin, thin border. Um, we all have um, split personalities, in a sense. We all have conflicts, and we all have different, you know, parts. They're, they're competing, uh, you know... Competing parts—that's um, that's reality. That, that's um, that's part of life. That's part of uh, part of what's um, you know. Oh, one second. Look at this. They stay home and watch on Zoom. Oh, we're not doing the Zoom anymore. What? Uh, this is what I was afraid of. The schmooze in Muncie was killed. It got killed. Had to, I had a Shmu's Thursday night every Thursday night in Muncie. And then somebody asked me if we could uh, live, live cast it. So I said, sure. We went from 60 guys to 40 guys to 20 guys to 10 guys. Everybody stays home. Okay, anyway, um, so people who are at home, we don't, get to, we don't get to ask questions. That's it. That's the punishment. <laughs> if you're local and you're watching, you're not, not asking questions. Um, did, did I answer that question? I'm not sure if no. I... No. No. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, rephrase no, it. No, so, Okay. So, the thing is, I get it that it's all <clears throat> it's all like levels and degrees. Um, but, why did Hashem give some people really serious degrees? Right, right. Um, now, there's a, a good book that I highly recommend. It's called Stop Surviving, Start Living. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I spent a lot of time there describing life settings and and why Hashem gives different people different life settings. Some have poverty, some have health, some have <clears throat> opposite health, and, and each of those life settings are irrelevant when I leave this earth. We're but actors on the stage. Here I was given a role to play. <laughs> I'm judged by one criteria. These were my talents, these are my strengths, this was my role to play, how well did I play my part. I'm not judged by the part that I was given in the play, I'm judged by how well I played that part. So, if my part to play was an idiot savant and I played it well... I go, my front row, Gennadyen, and my part to play was uh, was the draw, and I, I, I learned half of shots or whatever it may be, then I'm in the back row, so, you know, meaning I'm not judged compared to you, you're not judged compared to her, we're each judged by the most demanding, exacting standard, the standard of you, these were your talents, these were your strengths, these were your abilities, and this was your role to play, how well did you play your role? Now, I will admit to you that there are some roles that are far more um, appealing than others. And there are some roles that are very, very, um, to put it mildly, unappealing. And, and why Hashem feels that, listen, why did Rabbi, Rabbi have poverty, illness, disease, uh, you know, the l'mus right? From the description, it was that he, austere, bitter, poverty, ost- a horrible life. For him, that was the perfect stage setting to allow him to reach his level of perfection, for him to reach his, his Um For me, it would have been disastrous. For you, it might not have been the right. But for him, it was perfect. And Hashem custom-made, handcrafted the perfect stage setting for each of us to allow us to reach our potential. But again, I'm not judged based on what role I had to play. I'm judged based on one criteria. These are my talents. These are my strengths. This was my role to play. How well did I play my part? Um, yeah. So, for supporting somebody with these challenges, how do we do it? Okay, I don't. Know, pe- uh, can people on Zoom hear the questions? I don't know if you have my mic. Um, first of all, Patricia, hi. How are you? Um, <laughs> Patricia is an old um, friend of the Schmooze. Um She translated the marriage book into Spanish, um, and I'm very appreciative. Um, I'm going to actually take a question only because, of thank you so much. How do we know when anxiety comes from nefesh or from a medical problem? I'm a doctor, right? Okay, that's a very interesting question. Now, um, anxiety is a very, and really the balance of all psychological or psychiatric illnesses and, and the thought process is a very, very thin balance. In other words, meaning a person is fully capable of talking themselves into a state of depression. If I train my brain all day long to be negative, to be depressive, to be life stinks and I'm bad and I'm horrible and everyone's better than me, if you train your brain to do that, you will become depressed. It's, it's a very simple reality. Um, as a matter of fact, very much you know the opposite. It really is very much um, highly recommended for anyone with depression because typically there's either you have a, either an optimistic bias or a pessimistic bias, and that's just a nature to the way your brain has been hardwired at birth, and it's not a choice. I've never met a person who has a depressive, uh, you know, uh, or uh, you know, uh, depressive personality and says, I, "I just love it." It's just it's a um, it's just a reality of being hardwired at birth. Now, there's a very thin line between um, what chemically affects your brain and the thoughts that affect your moods. Um, and what I mean by that is as follows. In other words, just as drugs affect the way you feel, they are very real effects of neurochemistry. And if, you, you know, if you're finding yourself that there's un, um, unbased anxiety, meaning it's not because of thoughts in your brain, it's not because you're thinking anxious thoughts, but you're just feeling extremely anxious, and there's no cause to it. Meaning it's not because of thoughts that you're thinking, then, clearly, you have to deal with it much more from a psychiatric vantage point, um, because, again, there's, you see, you know, let me really back off for a moment. Um, there's a great bumper sticker that's, I, I don't have one here, but it's something like, the, the way you think becomes the way you feel becomes who you are forever. Anyone see that bumper sticker? We used to have the schmooze, uh, schmooze car magnet. Anyway, um, the way you think becomes the way you feel becomes who you are forever, is a reality. Um, most of learning Musr is about that because it's training the brain, training the brain to think the thoughts that I want to think and not think the thoughts that I don't want to think. So let's deal with a simple one: jealousy. Torah says, "Lo Don't be, don't have jealous, don't have desires of other people's property. That means I have to train my brain not to desire whatever it may be—be <clears throat> that person's house, that person's car, the per- whatever it may be. But I may, by nature, have those desires. And my brain may say, oh, I want it, and I have to train my brain not to think those thoughts. I have to train my brain not to think thoughts that I... Now, this process, which is, again, most of learning Musa, which is training the brain to think thoughts that I want to think and not train, not allow it to control my thoughts, um, is something that's a huge part of mental health, a huge part of happiness in general, but certainly a huge part of Vodas HaShem. Now, again, there's a very thin balance because there are many situations where for no cause a person is depressed, or for no cause a person has anxiety, meaning it's not that they're thinking anxious thoughts, it's not that they're insecure, it's not that their brain is working that way, but just they wake up feeling extraordinarily anxious, and just, that's a situation that's clearly caused chemically and should be dealt with. Now, again, all three legs really are very helpful, meaning... The psychiatric piece of it, the, the talk therapy or the, the self-talk, as well as, um, if you've ever heard me say this before, exercise is the third leg of, psychi- of psychological health. But those are really the three legs. Um, anyway, um, Patricia, I don't know if I answered the question. I went on and on and on. But I hope I did a little bit. But, um, but we have to talk anyway. I want to... I'll, I'll email you after. Did I answer that question? Well, Patricia, you can tell me if I answered or didn't. But... Um, Okay, but anyway, live questions, folks. Thought. Yeah. So, when you are working on, you know, having, changing your thoughts, making your, focusing your thoughts to be positive, um, how do you know the difference between being patient with yourself or giving yourself excuses? Um, okay, a little bit more clarity, please. So, like, I know that I'm trying to work on something, but my okay. thoughts keep going back to the negative or whatever it is that right. I'm struggling with. So you say, well, I'm trying to work on it, so I'm just going to be patient with myself. At what point does that become an excuse of, like, "So I'm working on it in the right way? Are you working in the right way is a good question, but let me let you in a little secret. Um, I cannot tell you how many times I wish I were programmable. I wish I, I had a computer program I could just change the essence of me the way I think, the way I feel. But we human beings are not programmable. Unfortunately, it's um, it's not so simple. And if you want to change your nature, it's something that takes, uh, I mean, Shola Salanta says it takes a lifetime. Um, now, depending on how long you intend to live, that could be a while. So um, so <laughs> it doesn't go quickly at all. In any any area of growth, any area of change, is very 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 incremental, very slow, and you have to be satisfied with the with the slow growth. Now, if you're working correctly on it, is another good question. Um, and there many exercises, and you have to, you know, um, ladies. Anybody talk to themselves? All Okay, now, okay, but wait, wait, wait. But but do you control the conversation, or are you just the brain goes? everything. Oh, Argument. You're wrong, right? <laughs> Okay. I think like you have a thought, and you think to yourself, "Like, but I don't really think that." Like, like, like yelling at yourself, Stop it already! This is not what you want to be thinking. So stop it already. I'll give like, okay, You see, but that won't work, because the, the thoughts. Are get, uh, I'll give a good example. Just to ask yourself a question, the first answer that pops into your head is the right answer. Really well, yeah, but that's if you have a, 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 a dilemma or a subject, what, what to do. But here, watch this. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say I'm giving. I'm working something really Let's say. Um, here's what you work on. Um, Anger. Okay, okay. I'm not going to get angry. Yes, yeah, you are. So, <clears throat> I'll tell you what what I do, and it's a, it's a <clears throat> it's it's a daily Musa Seder. It's 30 minutes a day, learning about it. I'm not, gonna, and 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 it's working on it. And uh, it's like, let, let's take the easiest one. Let's take the self-esteem one because that that one's the easiest. Um, I have a lousy self-esteem. I think I'm, I'm worthless, and I'm, I'm a piece of garbage, i right? So what do I have to do? I have to take my traits, and I have to usually, oftentimes I have to have somebody else do this for me, because, you know, if you have a poor self-image, then you, 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 I don't do anything well. But have to take things you do well, you have to write them down, and for 10 minutes a day, you have to say to yourself, I do this well, I have this strength, I have this talent, this I do, and you have to literally program your brain to respond the way you want it to. You see, all day long, the brain, the chatter in the brain goes. And the problem is it's programming you to think that way. And the only way you can undo that is you have to start the take the other way. And you have to say to yourself, no, I'm good, I'm accomplished, I can accomplish, I can do, I can succeed, it's not true. And by saying those words to yourself, what you're doing is you're training your brain to think that way, to hear that. And then during the day, those words will actually come to your brain. But not immediately, but you do that for 30 days. Um, I once had Rabbi Pliskin once. There uh, used to be this yeshiva here a long time ago called Arsameach. Anyone remember that in the old days? So I was down in Ar-Sameyach once, and Rabbi Pliskin was there, and he came over, he was talking. He said, I want you to come to a sheriff I said, fine. So <coughs> he was in a side room, maybe 30 men in the sheriff. And at a certain point, he said, okay, I want you to all say, awesome joy. Awesome. Say, awesome joy. Awesome joy. No, say it. Awesome joy. All uh, right, well, he say it. And he saying, I want you all to say, awesome joy. Louder. Awesome joy. So we all say awesome joy. And he made us say it 30 times. I walked out of that room, and I was like... I said, wow. That's yeah, pretty cool. You try it. If you don't believe me, try it. Say it to you 30 times, awesome. But you have to say it like you mean it. Awesome joy! Awesome joy! Wow! Awesome! And if you say it 30 times like you mean it, you, what you're going to find is, it affects your mood. Right? I mean, many studies show, just smiling, just this affects your mood. Physical acts, we do affect our mood. But, you see, the point is that if I let my brain control me, I'm toast, because it's going to take me any which way. I have to learn to control the thinking of my brain, I have to learn to control the thoughts, I have to recognize what's driving them, where it's coming from, and I have to learn to take control. And the way you do that, one of the primary ways you do is by learning musr, which, you know, in in our case, over here, the example would be (laughs) saying to yourself, I will not get angry. I will not, I will not not lose my temper. I will not lose my temper. And it's also training yourself, what are your triggers? You know, anger is a a tricky one because you have to recognize that that no one can, you know, once you're angry, it's done. It's that ticked. It's that moment we you just feel a little bit ticked. There's a good schmooze, number 30, anger management. 30, 30, 30, 30. Um, and I'll look it up. It's called anger management. Um, I spent a lot of time there describing the, a system, how to work on anger. And the article explains it to us. It's very uh, very systematic on the shmooze app. One second, folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah? It gives me Get so ticked off when he comes. <laughs> yeah. But here's a lot of very good. Here uh, it is. Anger management. 30. Okay. Questions, thoughts, i the way he's painting the picture, but I don't think that's the way it was. Um, he was trying to teach the generation to be true, but they were fighting tooth and nail. What are you doing? We're going to break that. Everything that he did, they opposed. They, they, they were pretty wicked, you know, but the Shepesars, the language was really, really bad, very, very bad. They were, they were bitterly opposed. It wasn't like he was making some headway. He knew it was, uh, it was a no-go. Um, as a matter of fact they wanted to destroy the table they, the table had to be surrounded by bears and lions to protect <laughs> the animals and, and, and people going in um, so you know the fact that he didn't believe was only because he was recruited you know, meaning I who I'm speaking to have a part of me that's brilliant and, and understands and a part of me that's dumb as sin because it's I, I'm both I'm bahami, Baham Nebuchadnezzar I'm both the cliffs of the theme. And and that is the reality of the human being. At <laughs> uh, least some, some I do want to rebuild humanity anymore. You know. And really, that was the plan. It ended up not succeeding, and I should not have to go from Avon. But again, the plan was North was be the progenitor of the uh, human race. <laughs> You're right. There's meaning the great you are the greater potential to you know, I've shown that it's pretty bad the Acer wasn't the so great really, you uh, the Acer put it so you're right the, the earlier generations had this potential to be phenomenally great and to make it balance out they have to have a huge you know, opposite the even. Is even, even the, 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 the greater you are, the more the mm, um, Yes. You're observing too. I a Okay, so, okay, I, I appreciate it, and I'm going to tell you some interesting questions. You're a woman. You know how many guys I know will come to the shrews, don't listen to this all the time in the car, right? Come to the i like, what are you doing? You tell me you're listening, and I'll quote the shrews, and, and quote, Do you know the answer? The agency's brain, what happened? when he's driving, the brain has by watching this. So If I'm sitting in the chair looking at the guy. God. So you um, didn't frighten <laughs> it. <laughs> Alright, good. So, um, so again my recommendation is if you'd like, please buy a copy of the Jara Hashem. The translation by Rabbi Ari Kaplan is fantastic. Tell edition, they have it in um stories in the morning. Doesn't come, doesn't get to ask questions. <clears throat> they get to lose. maybe we'll figure out. Oh, we should figure out how to cut out local, right? <laughs> right, let me sharp. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, previous to, uh, like the time of Noah, and the time of other lives to 930 years, which is, I think it, it's, years. meaning you're right, in the time of Noah, there was a change. Um, by the way, if you'd like to know what life was before Noah, Hawaii, you see, this, is Hawaii, Hawaii, here's the earth, and here's the sun. The the, um, the earth is on the 23.5 degree. To the sun. Hence, we have winter and summer. So, meaning the, the southern, depending on which part during the day is facing the sun, if the, sun, if the northern hemisphere is facing the sun during the day, it's going to be summer. The southern hemisphere is going to be, right? So, before north time, the earth was this way. It was exactly parallel to the, uh, you know, it was exactly lined up to the, to the, uh, to the sun. And life on the planet was beautiful everywhere you went. It was always I mean my thing says it's now going to be winter and summer or that only happened after Noah. Before it was all the vegetation, the air was incredibly clean, the vegetation grew you know, clean like a little Hawaii, it's about twelve inch but the bugs are not that big, you know. So um that's how. Cool of Hawaii anyway. but the point is the light on the planet was beautiful all over there was no winter there was no cold no um, so um, but I believe that the years were still it was sun and moon and you know 365 days in the solar yeah, so I think the years were the same um, could be the first years of Mice at Doris, and there's the first days of Mice of there's a discussion how long they were but once um, once other was created it was you know Following the sun, following the moon, right? 24 hours, yeah. But but nice weather. So you're right, it's not really perpendicular, but the point is instead of being tilted So again, we have season because 23.5 degrees tilt means so daylight over here, when when this part, right, the Earth. Than it's axis every the hours. But during daylight, the northern hemisphere in the summertime is tilted closer to the sun, so it gets nice and toasty warm. And during the winter time, it, the, it's, it's the opposite. But if we if we were put perpendicular, way you're right. The tr- it's warmer at the equator, but it's nice weather throughout, even tempered throughout the uh, throughout the, you know, the, the the world. No, I didn't pay attention to the sign. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. If, if if you do all the steps that you just said, you, you won't be surprised. But from you, you say, well, no. he's a, whatever, nice guy. That I mean, wasn't like a holy Jew, and right? wasn't like a holy, pur- you know, you know. But you realize that he, um, he really was. By the way, the, the, the Netzach Yehai explains that how did how did teach you? All, all the Avodah to see all this? Right? He says, "Something so profound." He says, "If you understand the true depth." of the, the reasons that Hashem said not to the merit uh, there's a certain effect of the Nefir and neshama's mixing et cetera. Whatever. And they understood everything and understood what was bad and was good and recognized like he, he leads and leads above our understanding. So he recognized that his neshama with those things it would not be a bad mix, whatever that means and therefore he is able to Matant was how to do that, but um I don't know if I'm doing this justice, but it's a, it's a profound concept. We'll have to, uh, have to spend some time on it in the future. All right. all right. Good. Okay. Good. Okay. Okay. Very good. Thank you.